Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today we're going to start by talking about a new deal for Warren Buffett, and then we're going to move on to Tesla and some issues they're having with the Model 3 production. So Chris, let's start with Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, they announced a deal yesterday to acquire nearly 40 percent of pilot and flying dray travel centers that's the largest truck stop operator in the u.s uh you know truck stops i think it's pretty obvious but these are places where truckers and drivers can refuel eat and increasingly shop a lot of them are kind of building out little shopping centers and stuff on a revenue basis this is actually one of america's biggest company it has revenue of over 20 billion dollars berkshire will acquire nearly 40 percent today and in about five years five six years they will acquire an additional 41.4 percent to bring their total ownership up to eight 80%, the family that controls them now will maintain about 20% control. And, you know, the deal is the Buffett's latest bet on kind of traditional forms of transportation and U.S. economic growth. The one you really think of is it kind of adds to BNSF Railroad, but th- there are others along there. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about this deal in the face of the projected growth in electric vehicles, self-driving, autonomous cars, all that sort of stuff. So, Chris, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think about Warren Buffett's latest deal? Well, we don't have a price, so it makes it hard to be able to drop it in a good deal or bad deal. So I will just throw this out there. You know, I'm familiar with some of the truck stops and convenience stores. If I had to guess, you know, if you told me $20 billion in revenue, I would say, all right, well, most of these are low single digit margin things. So I would guess around $800 million in EBITDA probably. This is probably worth somewhere between seven to nine times EBITDA. So you're probably talking what, eight times seven, that's 5.6 billion to maybe 8 billion on the very high. And if you're so it's it is a big deal. It's a it's a big deal, not his biggest ever, but that's just kind of my guesses at uh, valuation. It's good retirement planning for the uh, current owners. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. And it's good for Buffett just in terms of the fit. You know, he has he really thinks about trucking and train data a lot. You know, if you go through the stats that he kind of checks in on daily, that he's sort of a wonkish about. This is right in his sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably has, and I don't mean timed well week to week or month to month, but very much has his eye. I mean, I think when he went into the train for the first time, he really thought that the trucking versus train load had gotten way out of whack where the investment is. It probably swung back. It's a good, steady business. And he will have another finger on the pulse of U.S. macro stats with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the macro stats thing is interesting. I do think it is interesting. This is an old world, old line business. Yep. And you kind of think about this business as it evolves. Look, I don't think... When we were looking at convenience stores, I think a lot of people thought the death case was electric vehicles, right? People aren't going to have to stop to refuel on gas. Well, that is true, but people are still going to have to stop in places, right? People are going to want to buy drinks. People are want to go to the restroom. People are going to want to stretch their legs, but they would certainly stretch less in a autonomous or electric vehicle type thing. I saw you want to say something. Well, just to say people go on car trips. It's less clear eventually that truckers will exactly. be in trucks. Exactly. Because uh, the self-driving on, you know, taking the family to see the Grand Canyon, you still have to take the kids. But if I'm ordering something from Amazon, in terms of our cultural uh, touch points in movies of truck stops, truck stops will get really boring in the self-driving or driverless electric truck future. No, that's a great point. And, you know, he... So... 
if you think about it, like the convenience stores, maybe people still need to stop and stretch their legs. So they're stopping less, but they're still stopping. Mm-hmm. The truck stops, if it's self-driving trucks, a lot of these, I mean, these are giant stations that are designed for big trucks to pull in, refuel. They really build out a lot of their selection to truckers that are on long trips. I think that's exactly right. You have to worry about that. So in many ways, Buffett is making a bet that electric autonomous vehicles, specifically trucks, are here later and much further out in the future than probably the man we're about to talk, Elon Musk and Tesla thing. You know, he is very conscious about what the uh, lifetime is of human-driven gas vehicles because of car insurance. So this is something he probably has just done the math on how many years he thinks is left. Of course, they will still need repairs, and some of the repairs are done at the truck stops. And meanwhile, a lot of the revenue is from those incidental purchases for a blue-collar job. Truckers are highly paid, and they are kind of alone. So if you wanted to spend, you know, five or ten or fifteen dollars on something just because you like it, you know, you don't have family members bugging you about your diet. Uh, you have the cash. You have the incidental purchases. You can really mm-hmm. push those incidental purchases at a truck stop. No, and I, I think that's exactly right. But it's also interesting. You mentioned he's in a lot of other areas connected to this. You know, just two years ago, he bought a big chain of auto dealerships. He's obviously in Geico Auto Insurance. He is buying into a lot of old world industries that have the potential to be somewhere between slightly disrupted to massively disrupted by autonomous vehicles. So I do think he has a vision that these are here later and slower. There was one more interesting aspect to the deal. You know, I saw some people relating it to when he bought Dairy Queen in the Mm -hmm. late 90s. They said, oh, Dairy Queen, this is something he's always kind of wanted to own. He's got an attachment to it. This is almost a vanity purchase. And I think on CNBC, they asked, hey, Warren, you know, one of your first purchases was a gas station. Is this almost a vanity purchase for you? Which was kind of funny because he was sitting next to the head family member of the business. But do you think there's any like a little bit of emotional attachment to this business here? I don't know. I would speculate that Buffett has vanity research projects, but then he is a cold-blooded killer when it comes to making wise asset allocation purchases. So I think that he, you know, thinks about Coke because he's drinking a Coke, but then he does the math. I I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But it, it is just an interesting thing to think about there. You know, the last Last thing is, this is, let's say we're right, and this was an $8 billion valuation. He's only buying 40%-ish right now. So right there, you're talking well under $4 billion. Berkshire still has almost $100 billion in cash on here. You know, this is just a drop in the bucket. It's been a couple years since he's done a really big deal that kind of makes a dent into that cash and the cash just continues to build. Do you think he's going to be able to find a deal in the next year or two? Or do you think it looks increasingly likely that Berkshire is going to have to just step up their capital allocation return program, either through share buybacks or dividends, just to do something with all that cash. He's looking, I think if you're really going to put a big chunky increments to work, it's going to be abroad. I mean, he's doing what he can in terms of going after family-owned businesses of this scale, but there's only so many. And I think Forbes had this at 15th or so on the most valuable of the private companies. And then he's not going to like some of them and then he's not going to get the right price and not going to trust some of them. And so, you know, that's just a small number for the number of dollars he has to put to work. So he'll try, he'll uh, fire when he can. And if he does, it'll probably be international at this point. Perfect. Let's switch over to Tesla if that's okay with you. So Tesla, late Monday, they reported their 
their deliveries and production for the third quarter. And you know, there was some good news thrown in here. They actually raised their sales guidance and projected deliveries for the full year pretty substantially from mm-hmm. 95,000 to 100,000. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of bad news and that they reported issues with the production of their new vehicle, the Model 3. Specifically, they said, hey, we only managed to produce 260 Model 3s during the quarter. And that's just a disaster. Their original projections, as recently as August, they said, hey, we're going to make over 1.5 thousand of these vehicles during the quarter. So, you know, to come in at 260, that is just so far below. The company blamed the miss on production bottlenecks. They said, hey, we know what they are. We can fix these in the near term. But the miss raises serious questions about whether they're going to be able to hit their goal of producing 5,000 Model 3s per week by the end of the year. So, Chris, I'll kind of turn it over to you. What do you think of this latest delay? Is is this really just pr- simple production bottlenecks, or do you think this raises serious concerns that they're just not going to be able to ramp the Model 3 up close to where they've been projecting? The latter. I mean, I think that one of the free lunches is in just wild audacity in terms of having these huge asks that you make of your people and of others that you get a lower and lower percentage, but you get a greater and greater amount in absolute terms from what you ask from people. And I think that he has just pushed his team to almost ludicrous levels. But the problem is with a public company, you're then making these assertions in the public that you probably just barely believe at the time. I mean, you'd probably pass a polygraph, I guess, but having your estimates come down that far that fast you know, you want to believe them, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're exactly right. I I think it's interesting. We come back to the Elon Musk book that I think was released last year. And one of the things they were saying is every time he makes a projection, he assumes that everyone in the projection is going to be working at like optimal capacity 24 mm-hmm. seven. There's going to be no issues. And that's every projection. And that's how you get things. I can't remember specifically, but he's like, yeah, SpaceX, we're going to take someone to Mars by 2018. It's like, well, Elon, you know, I think that might be a little bit on the optimistic side. I think when he says we're going to make 1.5 thousand cars in Q3, he's assuming no issues. Everyone's working 24-7, just almost humanly impossible things because he pushes himself to almost humanly impossible levels. So I think that's exactly right. I, I love having him. He's probably one of my top picks for people I would want to have in our species, but he's probably not one of my top picks for people I would want on a conference call making guidance uh, predictions that I could have uh, full confidence in. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to ask you something. I think one interesting thing is Tesla comes out, hey, we made 260 Model 3s in the quarter after saying we're going to make 1.5 thousand. And the stock actually ends up on the day on what should have been disastrous news, right? And it's interesting because you see Tesla is kind of one of those battleground stocks. And you see Bear say, this guy, I mean, he's hitting a fifth of his production targets that were made six weeks before a quarter ended. Like, how can anyone trust anything he's saying? And Bulls point and say, hey, no one believes anything he says in terms of timeline. What we believe is the vision. And if you look at his historical ability to deliver, when you look at SpaceX or when you look, people didn't even think he could start a car company. And now you look, he's made a Model 3 is really the thing you should be celebrating, not the fact that he's missing production deliveries by a little bit. Where, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? I would not know how to quantify or even qualitatively assert 
where the margin of safety is, how you'd feel comfortable now at this price on this date on the long side. I don't own it, but I'm also not short it. But it also brings me close to a feeling of defeat and capitulation, not that I'm short it either, about the idea of shorting something like this. So I don't have a very symmetrical view on this. And, uh, you know, throwing up my hands in despair might come closest to uh, my reaction on the stock and the stock price. Nothing about the argument, not as you said you agreed to, but as you explained that Mm -hmm. argument, I think it was a fair description. None of that is compelling to me or comforting to me or something that I could do with my money or anybody else's money. But I also don't feel defiant and confident in the antithetical view. Yeah. You know, the last thing I'll say is Elon Musk, six months ago, he said, hey, we're when they first started rolling off the Model 3s, they said, hey, this is going to be six months of production hell. And it's just surprising that he could look forward to and say, hey, we're going to have six months of production hell, but they could still be putting out these really rosy delivery estimates. You know, it just it flies in the face of everything I know about like management making guidance where you promise 1.5 thousand and that's the you know, the high end of the most yeah. optimistic thing when you've already identified this is a startup production that's going to go through production hell. You know, it, it's just a little bit surprising to me. It's a kind of greatness, but it's closer to what I think of as coaching greatness, yeah. which might not be a rigorously precise view of the likelihood of winning when you're in the locker room before a big game. So it's somebody who is impressive, who I absolutely admire, but I admire in the way of a great coach who says you're going to go win. It's funny. You know, I saw some people who were saying like Elon Musk has a streak of Donald Trump in him, and I, 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 they were saying that in a very negative way. But I could see the correlation where both of them just promise everything's going to be the best, going to be the biggest. They, they almost ignore every negative sign that there is. But you know, in Elon Musk's case, I think he uses it to get his employees, get his customers, get everyone fired up about the product. Mm-hmm. And I just think the historical results of what he's delivered with SpaceX, Tesla, everything just really speak for themselves. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, is he going to get to Mars when he thinks he is? No. Is he going to get to Mars uh, substantially earlier than his average critic is? Uh, probably. <laughs> Let's wrap it up there. But before we do, do you still have your Model 3 deposit? Or, oh, do yeah. you have any plans to get a Model 3 in the near future? Yeah, I'm a, I don't know if that needs to come in the disclosure. I'm a depositor. Your depo- uh, Wait, uh, when is your deposit supposed to pay yeah, off and turn into a car? No, that's a darn good question. I think it's next year. I don't, I don't remember the exact date. If it's supposed to be next year, I would guess that it's going to be two years from now, but I am very excited to see the Model 3. I don't so. know how one hedges it, though. I don't I don't know that there's a deposit market for that, so I don't have a specific date, but uh, yeah, to be continued. Perfect. All right, well, let's wrap it up there. That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Uh, disclosures, Chris, I think we're long a little bit of Berkshire, and that's yes. it for today. Okay, that's it for today, and we'll talk to you guys next week.